0: (laughs) And um, I don't, as far as how to really introduce Dennis, as far as his accolades, what he's been through, what he's done, what he's currently doing, I don't really know all that. All I know is last time Dennis was in town, I just had this stirring inside of me and said, I would love him to be able to speak to our men. And Dennis does have a great story. He's got a great family. Uh, He's been, even though we don't see each other often, I consider him a good friend and like minded and like hearted when it comes uh, to the ministry of men. So, would you please welcome Dennis Elrod? All right, well, I'm going to move a little bit closer here. So, today, I just want to share a little bit about the story of what God's done with me. I have not, I did not grow up in the church. I have this varied background, and yet hopefully what you're going to see is a recurring theme of it wasn't what Dennis was doing. It was God intentionally pursuing me my whole life, intentionally directing me, and so I'm going to be sharing a bunch of those uh, a bunch of those stories and then end with a challenge for men, but I'm really glad to be here, and I'm especially glad to see some of the younger people here too, some of the younger guys, because, um, you know, my name's Dennis Elrod, here's a picture of my wife and I didn't, haven't led the normal U.S. life. It just kind of seems a little bit weird at times when we start describing it, and people go, are you telling us the truth? Funny story, my wife and I were at a detective theater, and you're supposed to come with a backstory for your family. And at the last minute, she goes, let's tell the truth. Let's see if anybody notices, if anybody believes it. Nobody at our table believed what we were telling them. And at the end, they just said, We thought you guys were some of the actors. And we laughed and, they, and we said, No, all that's true. And they said, It is not. And I said, Absolutely, it is true. And they couldn't believe it. But my wife and I have been serving, we've been members of CLC since 1992, first coming in here. And we've been Wycliffe missionaries since joining uh, Wycliffe, or CLC missionaries since joining Wycliffe in 1998. And we've just had a ball seeing what God is doing in, in and through us. But especially the reason I'm excited about being here is the CLC men's group was instrumental in my life as a young, married, really a new Christian. Looking around and saying, what does it mean to be a man of God? How do you live this? I remember every Saturday morning, even though I was up to like 10.30 at UPS on Friday night slinging boxes... At 6.30, I was in here at the men's prayer breakfast every Saturday morning. And I was hearing stories from Dino, Norm, Pastor Merrill. And it wasn't until about six months into it, I realized, you know, one day Pastor on a Sunday goes, let's celebrate Dino's 92nd birthday. And I'm like, what? That age never mattered. The stories I was hearing from them gave me this this sense that it's like they've got something I don't they have a life experience that they've gone through the same stuff that I'm going through. And there was a calmness about them. And so I love men's ministry. I love to encourage it. I want to encourage it everywhere I can because it's necessary. It's not a natural that men gather together and encourage one another. And so I just want to say, keep it up. Well done. Because we also have an enemy and he wants to make sure that he wants you to think that nobody's going through what you're going through that you're unique, that this situation, this modern time has never happened before. I want to say, read the Bible. Get back into the Old Testament. Read about the patriarchs. It's the same issues, guys. It's the same issues of wanting to be, make a significant difference in the world. It's the same issues of covetousness, lust, ambition. Those aren't bad in the proper perspective in the way God has directed it but the enemy wants to show you wants to get you off to the side and you're much easier prey in that way go ahead show you a quick video clip here
1: we have very little time left with the cats now every minute we spend with them is precious but when honey goes into action to get her family a meal it's priceless this is the hunter at her supreme best to catch an adult thompson's gazelle she must close the gap as much as possible honey may be fast but every meter she gains in a carefully executed stalk is a step towards success this, that her cubs still have to learn precision stalking. She must watch every move of her prey. She has to respond instantly to the slightest hint that the gazelle might lift its head. And when she's close enough, Explodes into action.
0: Okay. So, what did you notice about the gazelle? Just going about its business, happy to have a great tuft of grass sitting there, and I would say totally oblivious. As the announcer mentioned, the cheetah is trying to get as close as possible. The cheetah can run up to 70 miles an hour. What you don't know is that a lot of the time, they miss the gazelle. They miss the gazelle when the gazelle is paying attention. And the cheetah can't cut down that distance that they have to capture capture them and this is just kind of a great illustration of what I see a lot of men and boys are doing, of just kind of going through life. Their head is down, and they're not noticing that they have an enemy that's stalking them, that's watching them. The other reason, what I see often in a lot of churches, well, okay, 1 Peter 5.8, be alert and so- of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's true on the mission field, it's true overseas, it's true here in the U.S. What I see oftentimes in many churches, though, is that often the churches are filled up with predominantly women. Seventy percent of most congregations are filled with women. And I just say, why? Where are the men? See, statistically speaking, when men are involved in the church, churches are healthy, harmonious, and moving next, they're growing. Unfortunately, the lack of men is also the predictor on the other side of the church's declining. Next one, Laura. And I applaud each one of you guys for being here. Oh, for being here on a Saturday morning. It's a commitment of time. How many here would rather be at sl- rather be asleep or at home with your family? Oh, come on, be honest. I'd rather be with my family. But this is important. It's important that you bring out your son. It's important that you bring in your friends. Because if the enemy can split you off from the pack, you're easy prey. And we don't want that to happen. The other part is, as a father of boys, I'm concerned about hearing statistics saying over 70% of young men will leave the church in their teens and 20s and most of them aren't going to return. As a father, I'm looking at my six- and nine-year-old sons and saying, what can I do to improve their odds to keep them part of the pack? And so men are vital to the church. They're vital to our society and to our families. I love CLC. I love men's group. I love Christ Church, and I want to be a part of what can I do to help improve those odds. Because as men go, so goes the church. People don't want to hear that, feminists don't want to hear that, but really an engaged dad is going to draw the family in and is going to nurture the family. My story, I grew up outside the church. I was, um, in fact, we went to church Christmas Eve only. One year when I was in high school and I knew everything, I remember saying, dad, why do we even go to church? We don't believe any of that stuff. And he looked at me and he goes, it wouldn't be Christmas if we didn't go to church, And I remember saying, that's the lamest thing I've ever heard, Dad, and I'm not going back. I was a pretty mouthy, opinionated high schooler. The sad thing is, looking back, I said that, and my dad was just silent, and he never brought up the issue again. Later on, um, I did grow up knowing right from wrong. At one time, I'm like, Dad, wait a minute. Who gets to decide what's right or wrong? And he goes, it just is right or wrong. And I said, but if everybody's deciding their own right or wrong, isn't it really personal preference? And if that's the case, I get to decide what's my personal preference. And again, he was silent. My, I never doubted, and I still don't doubt, that my father loves me. But he was very passive about guiding his family, about guiding his boys. Here was a kid who was pretty headstrong, felt like he knew everything, had some things going on, but I needed a gentle guidance and sometimes a two-by-four upside the head to say, hey, you're heading towards pain, stop it. And my dad was just disengaged there. I remember one morning in this search that God had me on, and I look back and I just say, God allowed me this search. One morning in high school, Monday morning calculus class with Mrs. Lehman, I showed up about 20 minutes into a 40-minute class. Um, I noticed on the attendance sheet outside that I was checked in. Of course, my teacher knew I was going to come. She just didn't know at what time I was going to show up. I walked in, and I just sat down, and I was thinking about all that had happened that weekend. And my friend, Vita Lombos, looks at me and goes, or sends me a little note that says, why do you look so down? And I thought about it, and I listed everything that I did, had done that weekend as a high schooler hanging out in a bar going out with a 23 year old beautiful coworker, and everything the world says this will bring you happiness and at the bottom of that note I put and it's all meaningless and she looked at it and she just looked at me and was like what? at that point I'm looking at what the world is telling me will make me happy and realizing how utterly empty every one of those things were I was still holding out hope that making money, getting a job, and all that, maybe that's the real secret because none of this other stuff is working. It's all meaningless. About that time, a Campus Crusade for Christ ministry, next slide, um, invited me, a guy invited me to one of these events, and it was a monthly event. And I went. And interestingly, I'm the leaders, I was drawn to them. They were, you know, they were these really dynamic guys, but more than that, they were honest about what they knew, what they didn't know, what they hoped was true, and what they had no clue about. And I appreciated that honesty. I went also to meet girls from other schools. Just being honest. And each week, each time they had a Campus Crusade event, Student Venture, I was back. And they were teaching me things about God. One Sunday, or one Saturday, they invited me to church. And I'm like, okay, I'll go to church. And I walked into, that's a picture of it, New Song Church in Portland, Oregon. Now, having gone gone to church at Christmas Eve, feeling kind of really looked down upon, um, we walked in, and I looked over, and there's this six-foot-four African-American man. And a guy comes in in a business suit, and he just welcomes him. And I'm like, Well, who's not going to be happy about a businessman entering your church? And then he turned around, and a homeless man came in the other door. And he was just as excited to see that homeless man. And I was like, oh, this is different. I didn't expect that. And that stuck with me. And then we walked in the sanctuary, and when the music started, it was like somebody had turned on the sprinklers, it was amazing. A peace and a presence of God fell about that place that I'm looking around going, what's going on here? There was such a joy, such a presence in that place that every Sunday my senior year, I was back in church. Now, Saturday night, I might be out doing who knows what, but by six thirty, seven 7 o'clock, I was up getting ready to, for church because I was drawn. I knew I wanted that presence in my life. I knew I wanted that peace. And it was just, it was God speaking out to me as I'm learning at Student Venture, as I'm being in his presence. And there, come a, there came a point, though, where I had, I had already joined the Navy, being bored with life in Portland, knowing I was going to be a pilot. I actually joined the Navy before I was even a uh, senior in high school. I said, yes, get me out of town. Because I knew I was going to be a pilot, and the quickest way to be a pilot was to join the Navy, enlist, and go to, the, go to the Naval Academy, if you had the skills and aptitudes. I left for Great Lakes Boot Camp 10 days after graduation. And within that last week between graduating and leaving for boot camp, the leader of student venture pulled me aside, and we talked. And he said, Dennis, do you believe Jesus is, is the Son of God? Absolutely. Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Yep. Do you believe he rose again? Do you believe he rose again and is coming back to redeem those who love him? Sure. Are you a Christian? No. Do you want to become a Christian? No. And he's like, so he gets out his Bible. And we're in the middle of Heidi's of Gresham restaurant. I'm about to go on shift in 20 minutes. And he goes through biblical verses laying out who Christ is, what he has done, and what he's calling us to. And I believed it. I understood it. And at the end, he goes, but you're not a Christian. And I said, no. He goes, and you don't want to become a Christian. I said, no. He goes, I don't get it. What's up? And he just kind of sat back. And I said, most of the people I know who are Christians live it three hours a week, Sunday morning. The rest of the time, all my peers are out with me. I know what they're doing. The fact that God died on a cross for me deserves more than a casual response. It deserves me to release my life to Him. I'm not at that point. But when I am, He will have everything that I am, my hopes, my dreams, my future. And he just goes, wow, you get it. But what if you died today? And I said, there is no buts here. I go, when God has me, it's going to be everything I am. And he just goes, oh, within seven days, I was in boot camp. And it was as God the gentleman just said, okay. He stepped back. Within two months, I completely forgot, literally forgot I'd ever been to church that senior year. In fact, my ce- I was out within that first year, I was overseas in the Navy, and looking at life in Asia, and just coming away from that and just saying, wow, people really do lead meaningless lives all over the world. It's not just, it was not just my experience in the U.S., The things I was hoping would hold, would bring out meaning, fulfillment, and all that, that I was still holding out from high school would bring that. I've just gone, nope, just as meaningless. Around that time, I met a girl after being back in the U.S., and she invited me to church. Now, growing up, I knew some people went to church, some didn't. And I just said, I was interested in her, so I went with her. And it was interesting, because we walked into church the first chord of the music, I sat forward and said, why do I know this song? That whole worship service, I'm looking around going, I've never been here. I know I've never been here. Why do I know this music? Where is this coming from? That is, so how far removed God allowed that to drop out of my existence, to drop out of my memory. And yet, Slowly over the next couple weeks, he kept bringing it back of, remember? Remember when we used to be together? Remember when I was calling you? Now that girl, Anne, went back to college, and I met the pastor. And he goes, what can I do for you? And I just said, what does it mean to be a Christian? And he just goes, wow, that's the big question, isn't it? And over the next week, unpacking that question with him, realizing that this God who loves me, who has been pursuing me my whole life, wanting to direct me, wanting to give that guidance that a young man needs, is standing at the door and saying, well, are we ready to do some business? And that's when I became a Christ follower. My first year in the Navy in 1989. And it was an amazing year. Um, But it was also bittersweet because I knew I had always planned to fly those airplanes. That was my goal. And yet when I became that Christ follower, I said, however, I accept this gift of life and I give back mine, my future, my hopes, my dreams. I honestly figured he was going to make me a pastor or a missionary. And I thought, "Uh, no, but we've got this good thing going. I'm cool with that. And it wasn't until I was in the middle of the Indian Ocean, um, six months later, after I'd done my flight physical, after I'd already said no to the Naval Academy, I'm looking at this F-14, and I'm walking along, three o'clock in the morning, and I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, Lord, why? You gave me all the skills, aptitudes, and abilities to fly that, but out of one eye, you kept me out of the pilot's seat and put me in the back seat. Why? And it was as if, I mean, literally, three in the morning, I'm walking, talking, I I heard, I didn't want you flying those. And I turned around to hit my friend who had snuck up behind me, because that was the only explanation I had, was a friend heard me talking, and I turned around like this to smack my friend, and there was nobody within 300 feet of me. And I'm like, what does that mean? I still hadn't heard about mission aviation, but a month later, I did. I hit my knees and I said, Lord, do you think maybe you'd let me do that instead of fly these these cool military planes? And his answer was, I gave you those skills, aptitudes, and abilities for a reason. Not to serve yourself, but to serve me. And that started my path towards mission aviation. And it was a pretty exciting time. That's what led us here to, to CLC, of being able to see what God is doing around the world. So, like I say, we attended Moody Aviation Youth Pastor during my aviation time in Tennessee, and we joined Wickliffe in 1998. You can go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, trained to be a missionary pilot in remote locations. We left as missionaries for Indonesia in 2000. It was in my fourth. It was in my fourth deployment or my fourth month of language school in Indonesia that September 11th happened. So we got to experience to be evacuated. So we got to go to New, to New Guinea four months earlier than we had anticipated. But we were, um, while there, I got to fly in the mountains and jungles, small planes, and I got to see what is life like? What are men like overseas as well? I'd seen the US, it was meaningless. I'd seen urban Asia with the military, it was meaningless. And now I'm flying into these remote locations. And what I came back to is, surprisingly, people with very little stuff are just as sinful and leading meaningless lives as uh, people in other locations apart from Christ. That was a shock to me. Because as a missionary, I, I don't use the word missionary when I'm talking out in the community usually. Because you'll get everything from, oh, you're destroying cultures. Two, I always wanted to be that. And then I have to respond to each one of those. But one of them, and I had one lady cutting my hair who's like, you're not destroying the Yanomamo culture, are you? And I'm just like going, well, I'm sharing Christ with them. And I'm letting them decide what they're going to do about that. That was a scary moment. I almost ended up bald and I was supposed to speak the next day. But just coming to that conclusion of just going that pure group overseas, that pure tribal group that you often, I often hear about from academics in the U.S., it doesn't exist. They are just as sinful, covetous, greedy overseas as we are in the U.S. Just as surprising, the other takeaway living over there is, you know, when you become a missionary, life is not any easier it's still a struggle to be faithful. It's still a struggle to get into your Bible. It's still a struggle to fight all the sins I had here in the U.S. And in some days, I even think it's harder because it's like the enemy has painted this big bullet on my back to say, if I can just sideline him. And I can look back with a heavy heart and look at some of my missionary men, colleagues overseas who got sidetracked who are no longer in ministry because of the way they responded. They got separated from the pack and they were easily picked off by the enemy. And I keep coming back to that going, these are some universal truths for men of just saying, how do we keep them engaged with one another? How do we keep them engaged with their God, with their families? But as a man, it's—I mean—as a Christian overseas, just when I get that little missionary badge, as fixed to my shirt or back or belt buckle, whatever you want to say, it's just as hard. So when I'm in a church and people are like, "Oh, that's a—that's an—you know—you must be a special person for that," I'm like, "Or I'm just stupid, or I'm just stupid for being willing to say I'll do it." But in truthfulness, it's what God God has called us to. And that's what we're about, is being faithful to what he's called us to. We lived overseas until about 2006, 2007, came back to train more missionary pilots. And I got my MBA in 2011. And so now I'm leading an organization. I'm leading an organization, and I get to spend days in my office. I look at these, and I go, oh, I remember when life was simple, and I just flew a plane. And I long for those days sometimes. I spend most of my time in an office now building an effective ministry team. Or I spend a lot of my time out in the governmental business world meeting men and leaders out in the community. While out in the community, next one, um, meeting with men, I get to talk to them about what's going on in their lives. Many of these men, the ones in the suits, well, except for myself, are just striving to make a name for themselves, a search for significance for that next promotion. They're spending way too much time at the office and way too little time engaged with their families. A lot of them are hurting, afraid, and discouraged. And they want to know what's really important. How do they make a lasting difference in the world? One of those men, I won't tell you which one, his name's Larry. Had, my, Ann and I had dinner with him and his wife. Great family. And I believe he is a believer. In the public, um, in the governmental world, they can't come out and profess it. um, But I believe he is a believer. And yet his wife was just saying, yeah, when I go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, he's still on the phone. And when I get up at 6 in the morning, he's on the phone still. And I see pictures of his daughter Lauren on his desk. And whenever I'm in his office, I'm like, hey, when was the last time you took Lauren golfing? Unfortunately, the answer is often, yeah, it's been a while. And I'm like, Larry, it's going to go by in the blink of an eye. She's nine, and she needs your time. Go. The things I learned overseas, though, next slide, the things I learned overseas are that men are, there's some universals about men. It was interesting when I went through looking at pictures about what I took pictures of. I have a lot of pictures of fathers and sons overseas. And it just struck me how these men are just wanting to make a difference in their families' lives, in their community. I thought, isn't that interesting that God has placed something in the hearts of men, and it doesn't matter whether you're a tribal person here, whether you're in the government agency in the U.S., whether you're in a cop car or wherever you are. It just seems to be some universals that God has been drawing drawing us to. If he can split you off from the pack, you're easy prey. Hebrews, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. These are just some of the stories about what God has done around me that I got to be a part of, that I got to see and honestly, I'm looking at what's the ne- what are the next chapters that God is doing. I don't know. But again, the one who directs my future, my path, my goals, is going to be Christ. And it's been quite an adventure. And so I come to the challenge of just saying, what are you doing to make a difference in the world today? That's a big, heavy question. As Sheryl Sandberg, CEO of Facebook, said in her book, lean in, be intentional about your impact. And dare I say, compete unashamedly. But what are you competing for? Live out your faith in the community, next, because other men need you engaged. Not just boys like this, that lower lower right picture, some of the pilots I got to teach but I'd say in your workplace in your families in your church press on 1st Cor- Corinthians 9 says do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize run in such a way as to get the prize they do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever don't rely on past successes Yesterday's yesterday, one of the kids in my youth group, Jared, he needed his dad. Every time we had a lock-in at church, suddenly at some point there was this smell and we had no idea what it was. Finally, one time I realized that just trying to get attention, 13-year-old Jared is pooping his pants, literally wanting to see if anybody notices him. We met with his family, and I, with his mom and his dad and Jared, and the pastor was with us and my wife, and, and was just like, so, Jared, do you think nobody notices? And he goes, no, I don't think nobody notices me at all. And I look at his dad and I just said, so, what are we going to do? And his dad goes into talking about the glory days of when he was a young man, and when he was doing all these things for God. And I'm like, great, your son needs you now. That is the past. And that can be an easy thing for people to slip into talking about, thinking about what happened in the past, what God has done in the past. Preparing for this was great. It was a great trip down memory lane. And honestly, these are some of the stories I need to be sharing with my sons way more. But just in the busyness of life, I don't pause and look back enough. But really, God is saying, what are you doing now? 2 Corinthians, Paul goes into this huge long section about, since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast, though it is meaningless. And he ends a part where he goes, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. And I know this man was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things. He goes, I'll boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. And I thought, isn't that interesting? When you watch sports, what's going on? The touchdown, where's the touchdown dance? The boasting that's going on on the field. Paul is saying, I will boast about that man. And I got to tell you, when I'm out in the world and I'm working with men, lifting other men up is one of the biggest ways into friendship. It's like, I'll talk about Mark, usually not to Mark. I'll trash talk him in front of his face. But over here, just saying, let me tell you about this guy over here. Lift others up. That's one of the quickest ways of building a brotherhood. And it lets him know when it gets back to him that somebody's got his back. Lift others up. And Paul goes on to say, but I will not boast about myself except my weaknesses. That shows your humility, your humanity, and it acts as an antidote against the weapon of pride which the enemy is trying to split you off from. And it lets people go, Really? You struggle with that too? It's like, oh, yeah, but let me tell you what God is doing. It's a big, serious thing that men are having to deal with in many ways, but I would say separation is one of the biggest. God is want, wants to keep you part of the pack. Then he goes on to say, he, he, he was given a thorn in the flesh. He goes, I asked Christ to take it away, but he responded to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. The other thing, don't just look back and don't focus on the future. Okay, as a businessman, as a leader of a group, I have to focus on the future. But if I'm not living now and I'm only focused on the future, saying, tomorrow we will do this for God. The Bible says, you fool who say, this day, next week, I will go and do business in this location. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring. We need to be firmly right here, not looking back at the past and going, oh, those were the great days. Not looking at the future saying, that's when I'll begin doing something for God. We need to be moving in the right direction, but also saying, What am I doing right now? So I say again, What are you doing today to make a difference in your world? That's a hard question. That's a hard question for me when I can get too caught up in my business things, in my ministry things, and say, But my family, what am I doing? So be bold, aggressive risk-takers about your faith, not just on Sunday either. Next slide. Attend church, but don't just attend out of habit or to make your girlfriend, to make your spouse, to make your mom happy. Be intentional about it. Be intentional about growth. Challenge God to see what difference he has assigned you to make in the world and challenge him to equip you to do it. Then do it. An amazing thing happens, though, and, and somebody pointed this out to me one time saying, as you've gone overseas, and this was when I was overseas, he goes, all those things that you've given up, and God pointed me to a verse that said, those who have given up this and that in this life, or for the future, how much more in this life will they gain? And I'll say, I'll say it again, those who are bold, aggressive risk-takers about your faith, there is a reward in this life. And the reward is, for those that accept the challenge, you are statistically more likely to have a higher life satisfaction, marital stability, and happiness, less likely to be in poverty, dealing with depression, and have a greater self-esteem. That's your benefit. Your family will have a more engaged father and husband. And dare I say, your sons and daughters need you? It goes by in the blink of an eye. And if you don't realize that, talk to one of the older men who have kids who are gone already. And then the church is more equipped to find, more equipped to reach out and impact others with the message of Christ. The church needs each one of us off the sidelines and engaged in the battle for souls. Our communities, our families, and our world needs us engaged. Just, let's get to it. So my last question is, What's God doing in you? In a group like this, men generally aren't going to stand up and share that, but I challenge each one of you to pull a brother aside and share it. Each one of us, as I started off with that gazelle clip, are slowly having the world's influence to separate us from the pack. What are you doing intentionally to be back in fellowship with others? That's the question I hope re- resonates in you all, all week long. Do you guys have any questions at this point for me? I honestly didn't know how many were going to show up today, but as I told Mark two days ago when he, when he texted me some of these details, I was like, whether it's one or hundred, I've got to tell you, God is calling God is working on me as I prepare this message. I hope you guys got something out of this. However, I got to tell you, this message was for me. I needed to hear that, to be reminded of those things. And I just want to say, well done. Keep on the path. Keep faithful. It's hard, but it's worth it. And the world needs it. And your brother next to you or your brother who is not here right now needs it. Keep at it. Thanks.